No one knows exactly why, but there are some psalms that are repeated in the Old Testament. Well, for example, Psalm 18 appears in the 22nd chapter of 2 Samuel. And our psalm today, Psalm 14, is almost the same as Psalm 53. But that psalm uses the term Elohim as the Hebrew word for God, and Psalm 14 uses the term Yahweh. Now, you'll recall that some psalms praise and some give thanks, and a whole lot of lament. Psalm 14 is a lament. It's a protest of wide, about widespread evil in the world. It's a lament, but it's not really a prayer, at least in the sense of not one verse directly addresses God. No, not one. And remember Detective Columbo on the old TV show? He always said, just one more question, you know, for my lieutenant. <laughs> the other question you ask about this is, who's the speaker in this psalm? Is it the king? Is it David? Is it the high priest? Is it an ordinary worshiper? Somebody like us. Maybe it's somebody mistreated by the wicked people the psalm laments. We don't really know. But listen now for God's word for us in the 14th psalm. Fools say in their heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there are any who are wise, who seek after God. They have all gone astray. They are all alike perverse. There is no one who does good. No, not one. They have, have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord, there they shall be in great terror, for God is with the company of the righteous. You would confound the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Oh, that deliverance for Israel would come from Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, Jacob will rejoice. Israel will be glad. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Oh, Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. The Psalm scholar Jim Mays points out a problem or a challenge with the very first sentence. Actually, the very first word in Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. That word fool in the first verse, that's a challenge. Because of the way we use that word, it's easy to think the psalmist is calling atheist names. You know, like dumb, stupid, silly. But here, the term fool designates a person who decides or acts on the wrong assumption. Now, the 25th chapter of Samuel tells a story of a man with an unfortunate name, Nabal. And it's not just it sounds silly to say, can Nabal come out and play? But Nabal is the Hebrew word for 
fool. Now what mama would name their child Nabal? But somebody did. Samuel says that Nabal was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. And this Nabal was married to Abigail, who was, the Bible says, an intelligent, beautiful woman. Well, the problem was that Nabal, the husband, was surly and mean in his dealings. And he was especially foolish in his dealings with David. He was rude to David's men, even though David had shown Nabal's men hospitality. Nabal was prosperous and prominent, but he made the wrong assumptions about David while his wife Abigail discerned the danger and destiny of David who would become the shepherd king. A Nabal is a person, whether shrewd or powerful, who makes a mistake about reality. Now, if you don't remember anything about that story about King David and how he ended up married to beautiful Abigail, well, <clears throat> you can read that all in the 25th chapter of 1 Samuel. <clears throat> Tim Keller is a Presbyterian preacher who started a whole bunch of churches in New York City and has written several books. He writes that in the Bible, foolishness means a destructive self-centeredness. Fools cannot bear to have anybody over them. And so they ignore God or deny exist. And some of that rebellion exists in every heart. Every sin, Keller writes, every sin is an act of practical atheism. It's acting as if God were not there. Now, back on the first time I preached about this psalm, I talked a lot about some of the people who were proudly professing their atheism to sell some books. Authors like, well, here's one. Richard Dawkins wrote The God Delusion. Or Christopher Hitchens, who wrote a book called God is Not Great. Hitchens said, oh, most of the bad things have happened in the world because of religion. He kind of left off that part about atheism causing the communists to kill thousands of people in, in the last century, not to mention the Nazis and lots of others who've uh, done terrible things. But Now, I will point out, I did not buy these books at full price. I bought them used. So you see, I didn't give those authors any money. I just... I just removed a couple of copies from circulation. <laughs> well, <clears throat> um, listen to how more closely to how Psalm 14 puts it. Fools say, in their hearts there is no God. That's not publicly proclaiming your philosophy like these guys did. That's private atheism, practiced in secret. I know a fellow who's a, whose brother and sister describe him this way. He's not an only child. He just acts like it. <laughs> well, the kind of atheists that Psalm 14 talks about are those who may not publicly say they are atheists, they just act like it. Now Jeremiah describes such people saying, they have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said, he will do nothing. No evil will come upon us and we shall not see sword or famine. 
and punishment is what the prophet Zephaniah predicted for those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do harm. When we make decisions, when we make choices, when we act as if God doesn't really figure into our plan, doesn't matter in our lives, we are the people about whom Psalm 14 says, fools say in their hearts there is no God. Verse 1 continues, there's no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind to see if there's any who are wise, who seek after God. They've all gone astray, it says. They're all perverse. Now it would be easy to accuse the psalmist of pointing, you know, of painting with a broad brush, of overgeneralizing. But remember what Paul wrote, saying, since all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by grace as a gift. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Earlier in that third chapter of Romans, Paul quoted the Greek version of this psalm and a few other psalms and a little bit of Isaiah, writing that both Jews and Greeks, which is their way of saying everybody, you know, it's kind of like when the car place says foreign and domestic, that covers them all, right? <laughs> Jews and Greeks are under the power of sin, as it is written. There's no one righteous, no, not even one. There's no one who has understanding. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There's no one who shows kindness. Not even one. Their throats are open graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths. And the way of peace they make they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Well, the hard truth is that all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then the fifth verse of Psalm 14 has both a prediction and a promise. The prediction is that evildoers who oppress others shall be in great terror. And the promise promises that God is with the company of the righteous. You and I, we are not righteous or justified by virtue of our own perfect behavior. Try as we might, not one of us is that good. We are sanctified. We are made holy by faith. Our relationship with Almighty God is made right, not by anything we've done or could ever do, but the, by the grace of God we have the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let me tell you a story. You know how when a story starts out once upon a time, it may not have actually happened, but it might have some truth to learn from. So once upon a time, the devil was reviewing statistics in his quarterly reports. And the devil was bothered that his recruiting numbers were not going up at the pace he expected. So he had a meeting with his three youngest, brightest, and most devilish followers. Get them to brainstorm and generate a plan that would push those recruit numbers back up for the next quarter. So these three devil 
apprenticed, three apprentices had ideas to present. The first young devil said, here's the thing to do. Tell them there is no God. Well, the devil thought about it, man, and said, no, that's not going to work. All people have to do is witness a sunrise, a sunset, the waves of the ocean, the rippling ridges of the mountains, especially in North Carolina, or hold their new baby. And there's no way they'll believe there is no God. So the second young devil, he took his turn. He said, tell them there's no devil. He was disappointed by the real devil's response, too. He said, no, that'll never work. All they got to do is watch the news, read the paper, ride Interstate 40, or watch what goes on in their family, their neighborhood, their own heart, and they will never believe there's no devil. They may not see me as some cartoon character with a tail and a pitchfork, but they know in their hearts that evil exists. So the third young devil, he took his turn. Here's what you do, he said. Tell them, there is no hurry. And the devil said, brilliant, that's the plan. Thanks be to God.